The Paunch Stevenson Show. PaunchStevenson.com. Episode 283. Wednesday, September 28, 2016. So I'm here, uh, live on the air, the Paunch Stevenson Show. I'm still still going. I don't know what episode I'm on. 283, I think. Uh, I'm here with Lanza. Hello. Doesn't sound too well, though. No, just got back from Vegas, so it's going to be a tough one. The, what state in Vegas? What state? Some, doesn't something stay in Vegas? Oh, uh, what happens in Vegas stays yeah, in right. Vegas. <clears throat> Except for herpes. I think that with you. From the hangover. So, uh, and I have another friend here, the crowbar back here. Say hello. What's up? If you actually want to get on the recording, you have to like scream from back there. What's <laughs> up? Because <laughs> right. like when we when we did the Jeremiah interview, Jeremiah was in the back of my uh, the back in the back seat of my car, and Rob was like trying to because Jeremiah was like talking like looking out the window. And, and Rob's like, what, what the hell is he doing? I'm like, Jeremiah, you have to talk at the recorder. <laughs> so we're returning from the meat of a lifetime. Uh, the boss. Bruce. Terrible. Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, who sounds like he's from uh, uh, Tennessee, but he's really from New Jersey. Cletus Springsteen. Uh, Bruce uh, was at a Barnes and Noble. He just has a new autobiography that came out. Uh, what the, I don't know what it's called. My Born Road. To run. Road Born to Run. Born to Run. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was a longer title. So uh, we lucked out. We uh, we got on the uh, on the uh, the list, and uh, we arrived today about 9 a.m. Thinking maybe we'd be there for five six hours. You have to pitch a tent. Who knows? Overnight. But, Some uh, people did apparently, right? They did. I oh. heard that people were there last night, lined up. Last oh, night. <laughs> idiots! <laughs> yeah, but Dana got there at like six a.m. So and there well, was forty there was people like in front of him. Oh, what idiots! They must feel like so stupid right now. Oh, man, they gained themselves an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they were, in, you know, they slept over or whatever, but. So we're out of there by uh, not even noon, which is the actual. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, that was the, the scheduled time was from noon to four p.m., but we were out of there in uh, very very short time. Just had lunch. It's uh, is this is this an accurate time here? It's true. Twelve thirty-five. So at twelve thirty, we're on the way home again, and uh, huge Bruce. So. Um, Basically, the way they set this up was you wound through. They gave us the signed book beforehand, and then you wound through the whole, uh, you know, uh, the store. And uh, then you got up to Bruce, and they had some guy screaming at us. Uh, <laughs> he was oh like, he's like, in five seconds, his feet will move, your feet will move, and you will be on stage with Bruce Springsteen. Do you get it? Are you ready? Go, go. All right, all right. Like, calm get down. It. Get it. So uh, when I went up to to the Bruce, I said, I said Bruce, uh, Lonesome, uh, Lonesome Day is my favorite. It is. And he's like, thanks, buddy, I appreciate that. Hey, come on over, come on over, bro. Just a few seconds to be on stage with Bruce. As soon as his feet move, your feet move, and you'll be on stage live with Bruce Springsteen. All right, there you go. Just hold for a second. Got it. 
Thank you for waiting. We appreciate it. Beautiful. Thank you. Just keep moving. Keep moving. Thanks. What do you say to you? I just went up there. They took a handshake photo. Which and I, you obscured Bruce. Right. So I didn't know they were doing that, which is fine. And I wanted to be on the right of him. So my wristband wouldn't show. So there's one where I look like I'm just towering over Bruce. Um, yeah, he's a small guy. I am surprised by that. And he's very orange and tan. Yes. Very, very orange. So I just go to him. I was like, you know, I was at the concert uh, in Jersey. It was Said great. All that? Yeah. I was like, it was great. He's like, no, thanks, man. And then the camera, I told four people, hold it down. Yeah. So, of course, the woman doesn't hold it down. So then, <laughs> Bruce is like, you got to hold it down. Hey, like, hold that thing down. Hold it down. Damn it down. There we go, man. That's so great to see you, man. Right, get going. <laughs> All right. Then I got approached about these documentary filmmakers about his uh, book tour. Oh, God. Of course, I signed. What do I care? And I gave them my AOL email. And the picture came out great. You have an AOL email? I've always, oh yeah, I always said, every time I email you a picture, it's AOL. Ah, the interface is terrible. Oh, it's fantastic. You? I'm very happy with it. Ah! We can't die on the day we met Bruce. Uh, you well, I already posted the photo oh, online, okay. so yeah, mine's I out there. So. Yeah, you, oh, well, you're screwed. You two could. <laughs> I will live forever. All right, oh, hold on. So, uh, Crowbar, what, what was your interaction there? Um, you know, I went up to him, shook his hand. I was like, pleasure to meet you. I asked him for a quick hug. He um, said, yeah, sure. I don't know how you guys do the accent. I'm sure. There you go. <laughs> yeah, sure. Got a quick hug. I heard a couple awes in the, in the uh, crowd as if, like, oh, that's so sweet. But whatever. Anyways, I got to hug the boss mm-hmm. um, and then took the picture and then I shook his hand. That's when they snapped another photo. And then uh, that I was whisked away yes. by the... Um, you know, the magical security guard, so. I did like when they were taking our bags, the nicknames for everybody. I took my bag, I'm Polo. Uh, yeah, Greg yeah. was backpack. Oh, I was? Mark was uh, chicken shirt. The woman in front of me was baseball because she had a baseball yeah. shirt. One lady had a baby. She was obviously baby. The woman in front of you, she had an iPad out, yes. right? No, the two, the woman not directly in front yeah. of me, two in front of so me. So I and the guy's like, no, nah, that's not happening. It's not happening. Right. And she's like, no, I want to hold. I think it was like her son or something. Like was in the military. Yes, or something. it was a military photo. She wanted in the picture. Yeah. And they just looked like stunned and stumped. And they were like, no, it's not gonna happen. And then she's like, but it's this. And I'm like, yeah, just come on. I mean, and to be honest, it doesn't matter because if you're gonna hold the book, if you're gonna hold the book, you can hold the picture. Yeah. And who cares? And then the one guy was like. He's like, you know, you can hold the book when you're up there. We're like, nah, it's okay. And he turns to the other woman. He's like, nobody's holding the book. What do you want? The backdrop was really good, I thought. Yeah, but I was telling him the backdrop, like with the flash, it, it kind of, it, it, a little bit too much like a, a glare from it. Yeah. Wasn't happy. Anyway. Anyway. So, um, the boss, yeah. So then we saw class. <laughs> class 316. <laughs> so, we're going back to Lance's car. Sorry, I can't help it. It's just... <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy pops out of the car, the passenger seat. It's class wearing this purple disco shirt. I don't know what the hell. Two pairs of pants, boots. He's got a camera around. Sweating. He's sweating. Got the Velcro shoes. Oh, my God. 
him. Tell him what happened. Come on, he's waving at the guy in the car. I don't know. He had some guy in the car who knew some other guy that we knew who vouched for him and he was selling him his ticket and I don't know what they were doing in the car, why they were still in the car at that moment. I don't understand. Rough. That was a rough, that was just rough. And he wouldn't let us leave. He's like, one more question, you have to tell him, uh, one more. Do they scan the ticket? Oh, God, okay. You see, okay. you see, they know. Oh, they no, know. don't trust where it's, it's, uh, it's lines of 218 uh, and what does you, crowbar, uh, crowbar, it's crowbar. <laughs> and, 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 dude, he's all here, come on. <laughs> really odd experience, but I don't know. I really don't know what else to say. I'm so stunned that it happened that way. Yeah. So, uh, no complaints there from the book. $25 for the book. Yeah, and, uh, and a couple bookmarks. Yeah, the bookmarks. The bookmarks yeah. got to fetch like... Well, you know, Dana, Dana will be selling those for like 80 bucks each. Class will be happy to make 99 cents we'll on them. Uh, maybe Jim will yeah, be you know. yeah. Um, His autograph, I, look, I thought it looked good. Yeah, it was good. No problem. It was interesting that they, they basically... They put a special page, and this page said, you know, this is a signed copy, and had a line in there that he signed on. It was it was basically specially bound so that it would be very, very tough to fake it because you would have to, like, rebind the book. You would never have that page. You know, what, were you gonna, what are you going to do? How can you print on a book? A page of a book's already printed. You can't. But the comparison between autographs and books, they're uh, wildly different. Um, they are different wildly he may be on an off day with one set of books his wife may be signing ah. yeah, his assistant may be signing one day i think <laughs> i got know. i think i got the real book ah, i don't know about that i don't know about you guys um look uh I, yeah, no complaints obviously a very very successful uh particularly after uh, the, the jorski had an awful weekend in which uh he missed everybody under the sun and wants to kill himself yeah, but he got uh what was it margaret thatcher Get. I don't know. <laughs> some author, yeah. and for the second time, he got some Dolby guy, some Thomas Tom Dolby. Dolby, Tom Dolby. That is. I think he's the inventor of the Dolby uh, sound system. No, he's not. Sure. Uh, whoever that was died in like 1970. Maybe he's descended. He could be. I think he's a musician, actually. Um, I have no complaints. Really, really one of the best run signings oh! ever. Especially such a huge name. So, um,. Yeah, we're on our way home. Uh, so that's Bruce. Now, uh, one of the segments I do is celebrity deaths. I knew that was coming. So, apparently, a Gene Wilder died. Thoughts? Not apparently. I mean, he died. He, he, di he, he definitely died. He definitely died. died. Yeah. Actually, bothered me. Willy Wonka. <clears throat> yeah, it actually, it bothered me because, like, that was my childhood, Willy Wonka. But then, even when I was older, see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Young Frankenstein. Yes. Frankenstein. Yeah, so I always had fond memories of Gene Wilder and, uh, you know, it was... Yeah. Yeah. Now, we could have probably gotten Gene Wilder pretty easily if uh, somebody had told us that he did weekly, like, he did, like, frequent screenings in Connecticut. I had no idea. Somebody did. You know. Hoo-hoo! <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, well, he was in bad health, though, because someone posted a picture of him. Yeah, he had, he had Alzheimer's yeah. or something. But uh, the funny, the interesting thing about him was, in the hobby world, was people were sending... Uh, he lived in Connecticut, in, like, Stanford, and people were sending to his house for autograph requests for a couple of years, 
and they were getting like they weren't really getting anything and all of a sudden people were just getting tons of things back signed and signed and signed and then at one point he did a paid signing for this this store in California and right after that people started getting like like stamped photos where like the autograph were just basically stamped on it or something and they were all like oh because he's doing the paid signing he's not signing for free and what actually happened was his wife had been for had been signing most of the fan mail for like five years so like everything that all these idiots got was all fake I mean I don't know I don't I don't believe really anybody never I feel like it's 50-50 like how do these people know because they heard it from hearing it from someone else you know what I mean true I don't trust through the mail period though never I don't ever send anything I think it's more than likely it's not their autograph but that's just me well it, it depends see alright so it depends so like if you send it to like their shooting uh, if they're shooting something you say send to the production office or you send it to like a Broadway show it's more than likely going to be real depending on who it is I mean there's a lot of people who people have gotten a lot of celebrities people have gotten back stuff and compared it and like you know this is this is real or compare like a lot of times people do and I'll compare it to uh, something that I got in person and it you, you could tell I mean you well, know, like, it, like Bruce Willis He's oh, all over the place. Yeah, so definitely. if I sign something, it could be real. Because there's nothing really to compare it to. Yeah, so... But, I mean, like... Uh, like, Scott Bakula. Like, I sent something to Scott Bakula to, like, NCIS, New Orleans, and got it back. It's 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 real. Scott Bakula does not have somebody signing his stuff. Yeah, I, Come right, on. right, I understand. But, I mean, June Wilder, who's elderly, might have Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah, and God yeah. knows how long ago that's really started. I don't know who's signing his mail if he's opening his mail. And isn't it a coincidence all of a sudden, like, seven years later, things start coming back? So, Well, the wife, I guess, she felt like, oh, well, I can just forge it and just did it. I mean, she wasn't malicious about it. She just figured, oh, yeah. supposedly, well, this will be easier. I can, supposedly, you know, she said, I've really gotten good at his signature yes, or something like that's that. That's exactly what she yeah. said. And the and the, uh, the, auto, the, uh, the autograph guys, like, almost fainted. They were like, what? It's like class reacting to buying $7 ice cream. <laughs> That's actually what I imagined. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other celebrity, big celebrity death was uh, Arnold Palmer. Dead. Well, I mean, he lived a long life. Yeah, he was 87. The pioneer of golf. He was the king of golf. Also the king of half and half. All of Palmer's half and half. You I mean like... Icy lemonade. Oh, I thought uh, you meant like uh, cream. No, no, no. Like the lemonade. Arnold Palmer. Yeah, yeah, it's Arnold Palmer, yes. But uh, <laughs> I thought it was funny. Arnold Palmer. I'm trying to think. It. I believe he had a game. They had a game on Nintendo. Arnold Palmer Golf. Sega. The, yes. Yeah. One of the early Sega Genesis titles was yeah. also Arnold Palmer Golf. I mean, he had nothing to do with it. They just slapped his his picture on it. Of course. It's, I think it was a decent game, actually, in terms of golf games. It was not bad. Well, it's no Lee Trevino. Fighting golf. Lee Trevino's fighting golf. But you didn't fight in the game. That's what made no sense. It was a fight, just a golf. That's what it was. And he was like one, always one of the nicest golfers there, that there ever was. He was Mr. Nice Guy. So the fighting made no mile, sense. Use the right two lanes to take the ah, State yeah, we know where we're going. I don't know. So, um, all right. So we'll talk about some of the other meets. So, um, Norman. Well, if you want to do baseball too, Jose Fernandez. Jose Fernandez um, dead in a boating accident. That's, I don't know, sad. Terrible. 24, they found his bar at 3.30 a.m. capsized. 
Then they found like a bag of signed balls. What? Off your yeah? Did you hear that story? No. It just came out. So they think that he was like signing for these people that he was with because they don't know who the other two people were with. Yeah. So. You can shut this off. I don't know where we're going. I know where I'm going now. Sorry, mm. sorry, I can't put the podcast on hold. Sorry. So yeah, that was very, very, very tragic. But they were drinking. Don't drink in boat. Were they? Oh, I mean, they haven't done like the test, but they said he was out at a at he was out at a bar, you know, like a marina bar until like two a.m. and then yeah, he was there all the time. Yeah. yeah. So they at were, first they said no alcohol, but I guess no, because well they didn't find any alcohol. They haven't right, they I, tested yet. Uh, but. Don't drink and boat. So um, Norm Macdonald had a farm. I went to the book signing. <laughs> I thought you were starting a riddle. No. I went to the book signing the other day. Uh, Lance and I have met Norm before, so I went to the signing. And um, I think it was supposed to start at 7, and he started like 7.15. And I got there I got there at like 6.15, and I was already in the back. And so I did take video of it, and I'll post that online. And um, the, the, the Q&A that he did is hilarious. And I'm just going to post it in this episode because it is it is hilarious. He started talking about like um, you know just different parts of his career. He was talking about SNL. He was talking about like he had like Farley stories and and all kinds of things. Yeah, really sort of me. I want to listen to that. Yeah, it was really funny and um, yeah. So I'll I'll play that. So then he starts signing, and it's just taking forever. And the reason is Norm is literally having random conversations with everybody that came up there like just just like they would come up there and he'd be like hey what do you do and the guy would be like uh i uh you know i'm a janitor and he, he would come up with some janitor story that was totally fake you know hey you know i was a janitor and uh, you know and uh, then i found a dead body <laughs> i would have loved to meet him and give him what i do and see what he came up oh, with oh it's hilarious so i get up there and I say to him, because I watch his YouTube show all the time, which is back, by the way. It just oh, came it? back with uh, Stephen Merchant. It's hilarious. Because Stephen Merchant, like, broke the fourth wall with him. Because you know how they keep, like, they do those questions? And, and the, the questions were all ridiculous. And Stephen Merchant's like, are you pur- purposely giving me these questions that are making me sound even more ridiculous? And so, and Norm couldn't, like, keep a straight face. So I get up there. I said, Norm! What happened? You left Adam Egan at home. And he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, Adam Egan is, uh, he's a guy who's, he managed a club and, you know, and I think he wanted to say, like, Adam Egan manages a club so he couldn't come, but he just rambled. So Norm. Yeah. And at this point, they were trying to rush him along because they kept saying, like, they're like, Norm, they're shutting the lights off in 20 minutes. And he goes, he goes, oh, they're shutting the lights off in 20 minutes. I'm too slow, huh? And he didn't go any faster. <laughs> so I got up there and he's signing the books. And I got one for Lanza and he signs his. And he's signing me. He puts Greg, don't do crack. <laughs> you know, it's good advice. So then I say to him, I said, Norm, why are you signing this real fast? Can you do a bumper for my podcast? He goes, yeah, okay. And I, and I tell him, I say, can you say no to self? I got to listen to the Paunch Stevenson show. Wait, wait. 
He starts writing it into the book. Ah, yes. And the woman's like, oh, that's kind of long to be writing on the book. And I said, no, no, no. I want you to say it into this. And Norm's like, oh, okay. Wait, did he, so what did he end up signing? Did he write just note to self in the he, book? He was, yes, he was writing note to self and then crossed it off. Oh, oh no, note to self is great. I know, but he crossed oh, it off. Oh, my God, what a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> what a flipping disaster. Oh, he's great, though. And then, yeah. uh, so he did that, and then I got the photo, and then I ran out of there. I was there from, like, 6.15 until, like, 10.15. I'm really surprised that wow. big of a turnout. Chris Spade didn't even have that many people. No, Norm was popular, but it just, it was just, he took forever. And there was people, there was uh, people I know that go to book signings all the time, and, and they were like last, and they got out at like 11.20. So along those lines, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about both why you wrote the book and the approach you chose to take with it. Um. Well, because um, when I was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, um, I was doing stand-up comedy, and uh, my manager told me to put on my Wikipedia, and I put on my Wikipedia, and I was dead. <laughs> and I died of morphine overdose, which is not funny, because, you know, people have had morphine since the previous century. <laughs> but uh, anyway, at first I was laughing about it, and then I, I sort of got chilled by it, because I realized, like, that one day um, what was there was uh, going to be true, you know, because, you know, it's just a, a change of tenses, you know. Is turns to was, and does turns to did. There you go. So I thought, well, in the future, when I was normal, um, <laughs> um, you know, is this one Wikipedia page my life? And in a way it is, because, you know, uh, a life after all is not what a man thinks or dreams, it's just a series of, of facts. <laughs> but it's more than that also. So I wanted to get my side of the story out. <laughs> so you did or did not do liquid morphine with Warren Michaels in his office to get the job on his mouth? <laughs> well... <laughs> you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. Um, one of the parts of the book that I thought was... <laughs> I mean, frankly, we've all done liquid morphine in the office, but um, you, you return a few times in the book to uh, actually feeling lucky for um, sort of coming where you've come from and having the career you had. And, um, you know, there's a lot about being unlucky, mostly in casinos. But uh, you feel lucky about being from Canada, coming up there, and then having you know, the career that took you to Saturday Night Live. Can you talk a little bit about... I feel lucky coming from Canada and being able to live in the United States. <laughs> it means you can go back easily. Well, because the United States of America is the number one country in the world. And then Canada, I don't know, I think it was like 16th or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I come from a very... Uh, so uh, when I was a kid, if I was told, you know, because sometimes you get jealous, and I, I never even let them, you know, 
get out the end of covered things and you know, you break commandments and uh, <laughs> like you've come at your neighbor's ox. You know? <laughs> Well, to me, Roddy Dangerfield was the funniest guy ever. Like everybody says, pride. You know? 
I don't know when Rodney Dangerfield died, and all the comics would get together. Everybody had a Rodney joke, you know? So the best jokes there were, he had like, you know, he did everything funny, like, you know, the new comics were just punks and just talked funny. But, you know, Rodney talked funny, acted funny, looked funny, walked funny, you know, everything's funny about this guy. And, uh, and then he had the greatest, uh, catchphrase of all time, I get no respect, because Every single person in the audience related to that. No one thinks they got enough respect. <laughs> what about Sam and Chris? <clears throat> Sam Kinison's the first guy. He couldn't get any work. I lived in uh, Ottawa, Canada. And he couldn't get any work in the United States. So he came to Canada. And he took me on. Uh, took me his kind of to, to take a liking to me. And he took me across the country with him. So. But I do write one thing in the book about this was before he was famous. <laughs> so when he screamed and everything, it was very much different, you know. He <laughs> says, wild shriek, you know. And uh, so he, one time he was going around the plane, and the captain goes, this is Captain uh, Brendan Johnson, and uh, we were flying, and then Sam goes, not Crash Johnson, ah! <laughs> not Crash Johnson! <laughs> that had so many accents that his nickname on account of the crash. All the crashes. <laughs> and then the girls that served the little bottles of drinks were all mad. <laughs> and that Sam had that old Sam laugh. That old Sam laugh. And Chris, did you know him at all before you started working on SNL? No, I didn't know him as far but he was so sweet and kind to me. Uh, I remember the first time I ever met him, he said he had a secret to tell me. He took me, he secreted me to this faraway room. It's funny, I found it funny later that he took such a, such precision to do his joke. He took me all the way back to this room and then he just closed it in cases as if it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, as if it was, if it was uh, wired or something. <laughs> I only know 50 words. <laughs> I'm very shrewd to put them together. But uh, then he said, I got a secret type, but can't go past this room. Pat is a woman. Now, this is a true story, actually. Uh, some of the stories in the, in the 
book on how true, but this is true. <laughs> word for word, true. <clears throat> so, uh, I got a gig to a comedy at a hospital for patients who didn't pay any money, but that's not why a comedy does a gig like that. You take that type of gig just because you want to be a good person and receive eternal life. <laughs> Son of a bitch to drive this long. Why the fuck they built a hospital so damn far away from everybody? I couldn't figure it. It was way out in the middle of northern Ontario. We have to pray your car to break down. If it does, you have to pray it freeze to death before the timber rolls fine. <laughs> well, anyway, the people who built it must have known what they were doing. After all, they owned a hospital. I was just some guy in a car asking questions to myself. <laughs> Suddenly, in the middle of nothing, where the infinite nothing in the sky meets the infinite nothing in the snow, I saw something. A small, square, blue sign. Getting, this, getting a hospital. I was getting close, and uh, I was getting nervous, too. Maybe it was the barbed wire around the perimeter. Maybe it was the armed guards. What kind of hospital was I playing? <laughs> I got my answer quickly enough, because it was written on a big sign. Hospital for the criminally insane. <laughs> My agent had never been big on detail. <laughs> it took me a while just to get in the place. First, they patted me down, took all my weapons and my drugs. <laughs> then they looked at my ass and put those weapons and drugs. <laughs> Finally, they let me go from the outside to the inside. Take me to the warden, I demanded. This is a hospital, son. There's no warden. Fine, then take me to the entertainment director. <laughs> we walked down a long corridor filled with howls of anguish and high wailing screeches. Every cage I passed had a guy in it, and every guy was acting wilder than the last. The first guy was scratching his hair real hard, even though it was shorn close. As if he was trying to scratch inside his head or something. And he just kept saying, I was at John D. Rockefeller's funeral. <laughs> then the next guy was just staring at me, stone still, and he had a big smile on his lips. His eyes were cold dead. I started laughing to beat hell. How you work with these characters all day and not crack up, I asked the organ. <laughs> oh, you get used to it. Hey, I said, what about that guy with the cold dead eyes standing there? What did he do to get in here? Oh, well, his name is Fred Henshaw. He took his mother out to the cold northern tundra where the sun never sets, and he cut off her eyelids. <laughs> that way she couldn't sleep, or even shield her eyes from the sun. Then Fred had her wander around, tripping in the snow, falling, getting back up, falling again. Every day Fred would take a hypodermic needle and remove a half a pint of blood from the old lady. <laughs> After about a week, his mother just lay down in the hard snow. And he sat down and waited. Waited for the crows to come. <laughs> oh my god, I said, that's the worst thing I ever heard. Well, what about the guy before him, Mr. Itchy had? What did he do? Oh, him, trust me, you don't want to know. <laughs> well, these character shenanigans. It became less amusing after I heard their backstories. I was starting to get real nervous about the show, thinking that maybe these guys wouldn't be able to relate to my material. <laughs> I was shown into a room where I met the entertainment director. Listen, pal, I said, I want to do good and all, but I think this is a big mistake. When I heard this was a hospital, I imagined sick people, really sick people, the kind you want nothing to do with. <laughs> Some of these fellows look healthier than you and me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, don't worry, he said, you'll do fine. We had the Gatlin brothers last week. Gatlin brothers. The Gatlin brothers, I couldn't believe my ears. But then the guy showed me the room, and it was world-class, steep stadium seating, perfect acoustics. And I'd never seen such a, a fancy venue. Only one time I'd ever played a venue that good. And that was for a crowd made up of folks who never slaughtered a single man. <laughs> <laughs> How is it these monsters deserve such a fancy menu, I asked. Well, let me explain something, Norm. You see, technically, all these fellows are not guilty. Not guilty by reason of insanity. Do you understand? No. <laughs> Every one of these men has been found not guilty in the eyes of the law. Oh, I said. Well, that shed a different light on the situation. <laughs> These guys weren't guilty of anything, but they deserved the best show I could give <laughs> I guess I always kind of knew that deep down, but it took the entertainment director to make me realize it. <laughs> Soon showtime arrived, I stood in the wings, peering through the curtains. The room was made to hold about 500, but I could see there were only roughly seven people <laughs> Where is everybody, I asked. The entertainment director shook his head. I can't figure it. There's not a single other form of diversion in this entire hospital for the criminally insane. Then he looked at me mean, like it was my fault. It's not my fault, I said. We had the Gatlin brothers last week, he said. We had to turn people away. Criminally insane people. It broke my heart. Well, get up, you're on. And he pushed me toward the stage, really hard. I hit the stage in silence. Good evening, folks. How many of you own an answering machine? <laughs> I had a great answering machine, job. <laughs> None of us, that's how many, answered one. The other six grumbled in assent. You got any complaints Tuesday mornings? Meetings, the time to bring them up, Kowalski, you know that. Now pipe down, let the man speak. <laughs> Anyhow, I continued, I have one, and they're more trouble than they're worth, and, uh, in many ways. <laughs> I say a man phones you, and you, and then I couldn't move. I couldn't go on. One of the criminally insane men had found his way onto the stage and had begun biting my leg. <laughs> and the guard had begun striking him with a baton. That just caused the criminally insane man to dig his teeth in deep. I started shrieking. The audience got a big kick out of that. So the other patients began to wander into the auditorium to see what the commotion was about. By the time they finally shed my leg in the criminally insane man's teeth, the place was full. Everybody clapping and cheering and fighting. It was the greatest show I've ever had. I said it's hard to read out loud. Do you want me to read the other one? Yes, please. Oh, this is my favorite one. I'm just going to read the end of it. What happened was that when you're famous, people look fancy to do shit for free. And so uh, this kid had a wish, you know, he was a make a wish kid. <laughs> So he was very young, uh, uh, in a way, because he was nine years old. You don't want to live to be nine. 
in the bank because he only had one year left. <laughs> so he might be with his wish for us to go to me uh, on Saturday night and you know, be with me all week and see how the show uh, was run and stuff like that. And so uh, I, uh, I went there and I met the boy and uh, I told the rest of the people to scram, you know, I just want to be alone with the boy. And so I said, you know, I'm very touched and I'll do this thing for you. And uh, then he said, well, I actually have a different wish. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't take it for two weeks in a row or something. And uh, he said, no, he said, do you have Southern Canadian citizenship? And I did. And he said, uh, well, my wish is to kill a baby seal. <laughs> so anyway, as we did, we went to Canada, Newfoundland, and met a, a, a child fisherman by the name of Edward McClintock. He took us up the North Atlantic Sea, and by God, uh, the boy uh, who was, had a hell of a cough rattled. <laughs> so many pills. I was worried. I was worried that he might not make it and it would look very bad for me. <laughs> but he did, you know, and he got to the, we, we found a, a flow with a, a, a baby girl. <laughs> and there were gunshots, I remember. And uh, Adam McClintock said, damn, punch from St. John with their guns. <laughs> That's not how you kill a seal. <laughs> so we pulled out, out of a bag, uh, it's called a hack-a-pick. This is a medieval looking thing. And the sharp, and he told the boy, he said, you know, you, you hit, you know, the, he said, uh, uh, a seal's skull is as thin as a shadow. Few days before the accident, 
And now he lay in Strickland's funeral home, in a tiny white coffin. When all the strangers had finished looking up at him, and, I'm sorry, when all the strangers had finished looking at him, and sadly shaking their heads, so that all present knew their feelings on the matter, his mother was left alone in the room with a tiny white coffin. Alone, but for me. I lingered behind unseen while the funeral director shooed the others into a room with a sad-faced pastor who was preparing to speak. The mother stood and looked down into the tiny white coffin. Her posture, which had been rigid all morning, went slack at the shoulders and neck. Her hands remained clasped tightly in front of her. The boy was wearing a navy blue suit and a white shirt and a tie, but he still did not look like a man. I stayed quiet in the shadows so as not to disturb the moment. After a time had passed, the funeral director opened the door and quietly let the mother know that her time was up. As she turned to leave, she looked one last time into the tiny white coffin. Then she did a strange thing, a thing I will never forget. She straightened the knot on the boy's tie and looked to make sure it was right. I took in a fast, jagged gulp of air, and I slunk into the next room before she noticed me. There were cookies and an urn of coffee on a table in the other room. The cookies were god-awful. None of them contained jelly in the middle, which are widely considered the best funeral of cookies. There were only dry shortbreads. Coffee was black and there was no cream or milk, just packets of white yellow powder. When I poured the powder into the styrofoam cup of black bitter coffee, it just sat in a pile on the top. When I mixed the powder in with a black plastic stick, the coffee turned gray like dishwater. It got me pretty steamed. <laughs> I'm sure the rest of the people would go and felt the same way. We all went into the adjoining room and took our seats. The tiny white coffin had been placed in the front of the room. The sad-faced pastor was standing beside it. The sad-faced pastor told us how the boy had not been an ordinary boy at all. He had been very special. He had been a brother and a son and a grandson and even a great-grandson. I looked over and I saw them sitting there, the young, the old, the older, the oldest. Sad-faced pastor told us that some things were very mysterious, but there was a meaning behind everything, even something as tragic as this. He then asked if anyone had anything they would like to say, and people came up one at a time to speak about the boy. I decided to go up and speak too, since I had experience in public speaking. <laughs> Of course, I wasn't about to do my stand-up. That would be ridiculous. I pulled out a piece of paper with a speech I had prepared. Then, when I was about to read it, I suddenly changed my mind. Folks, I said, I have in my hand here a speech I wrote that's full of big, fancy words, but I'm not going to read it. And I crumpled up my speech and threw it on the floor with contempt. You don't want to hear a bunch of fancy words. Many of them so fancy you wouldn't even understand them. <laughs> Instead, I will speak from the heart. I have never done such a thing before, but I hear it can be quite effective. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, bereaved relatives, youngsters who've lost a brother or a sister or a friend, 
The guy in the sad face pastor costume. <laughs> the lady sitting beside him. I figure it's his wife. And finally, of course, the guy hanging around at the door wearing a Carolina Panthers jacket is clearly in the wrong room. And I ask the grace to hang in there till the end. I thank you all for coming. I was proud to have known this boy, and I was and I was proud that his last wish in life was to see me do a sketch on Saturday Night Live. Although I cannot say I was all that surprised. I am a very good sketch player. <laughs> but this is not about me. I really shouldn't be making it about me. But remember, this is the first time I have ever spoken from the heart. So I beg your indulgence. I feel this speech will really start to get good very soon. <laughs> But it didn't. And I realized something during the next 20 minutes. As my speech moved from one inane anecdote to another, none of them having to do with the boy. What I realized then was that some guys are very good at speaking from the heart, and some guys are not. It doesn't mean one guy's better than the other, just different. So I was honest with the people. Ladies and gentlemen, I said, I apologize for this speech. For the last five or six minutes, I've been telling you about Gordy Howe. <laughs> I think we all know what an awful, awful mistake me speaking from the heart was. So, if I may ask for help, let's try to find that speech. <laughs> fancy words that I threw away some minutes ago. It's got to be around here somewhere. Here it is, a sweet old lady near the front said. I read it and thought it was very good, especially the part about how we can learn more from the children they can learn from us. <laughs> oh, excellent, I said. I'm glad you liked that part because it's a surprise ending. <laughs> <laughs> so that shot. I without the surprise ending. Also, there appears to be coffee spilled all over it. Oh, yes, the sweet old lady said. I spilled co coffee all over the darn thing. Okay, well. I can't make out any of the big fancy words now at all, but somebody's false. I mean, in all fairness, part of it is my fault for crumbling it up and tossing it away so cavalierly. Hey, you know, I think cavalierly may have been one of the big fancy words <laughs> my speech. Also, it's partly the sweet old lady's fault for spilling so much coffee on the paper that not a single word could be made out. But we're not here to place blame. <laughs> I will say this about the young boy in the tiny white coffin. Despite the doctor's dire predictions, the boy was too tough, too resolute, too courageous to let something as small as a deadly disease defeat him. No, the boy was made of stronger stuff than that. And it took much more to defeat him. It took a three-ton municipal bus. <laughs> Moving at 40 miles per hour. Driven by one Cecil Richard Anderson to defeat this boy. I heard the deepest of sobs and looked down to see a man wearing some sort of bus driver's hat. 
think you cry, sir, I said, and cry with envy and not pity, for the boy is in the clouds, and he is one with the clouds. It is we who are left, who are reminded of this unacceptable day, that life is swift, and yet we are blind to its mighty splendor, which can be found in the simplest of things, things like a walk in the park, a conversation with a good friend, a deep, rich coffee, leavened with half cream and half milk, <laughs> served in a sturdy mug. One was some heft, and with it, a delicious cookie that's white and has red jelly in it. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and due to the solemnity of the occasion, I would ask you to hold your applause. <laughs> From there, we all went to the graveyard. The day was bright and clean. The cool autumn air filled my lungs and made me feel healthy. A time passed, and then the hearse showed up. The pallbearers were all big men, and they carried the tiny white coffin as if it were very heavy, although it could not have weighed more than 80 or 90 pounds. There was a small hole on the ground and some dirt beside it. We stood in a circle, and a sad-faced pastor said some things in Latin, and then we formed a line. The sun was directly overhead and made the tiny white coffin ever so bright. I took a handful of dirt and flung it down on top, and then it was the next guy's turn. Afterwards, I walked back alone down a long black top road, and it was cold, and in the sky there were clouds, white clouds, and they all looked like white clouds, but nothing else. <laughs> Search for Last Time. Um, my favorite American book is um, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I, I love Russian literature, and that's what I read mostly. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, just the standard stuff. You know, I, I don't like Dostoevsky, but I like the, the actual good writers. <laughs> I know. What do you like? What do you like to read? Oh. oh, I like to read? Yeah. Um, you know A Beautiful Box of Balls? Oh, yeah, I'm reading Infinite Jest right now. That's my favorite novel. Wow, how's it that to like? So it's good, huh? Oh, I'm glad I'm reading it. Oh, thank you. Sometimes I give up on books, but I won't give up on that one. Because it's so big. <laughs> Sometimes big books make me sleep. <laughs> uh, do you think it's possible to be a successful stand-up comedian without being on social media today? Like, if you're an aspiring social uh, stand-up comic nowadays, do you have to be kind of like a social media whore? Yeah, I think that's right. Like, you know, that's my question. Um, I gotcha, yeah. Um, 
I don't know, man, because I'm, I'm just an old man. And uh, when I came up, computers were different. They were big. They would fill the whole room. And you would ask it questions, and then it would say either yes, no, but if you ask it like an imponderable question, it would say, this does not compute. And smoke. And spit from the computer. Now, I think you probably have to be a, I don't know if you have to be a social media whore, but you have to be a, a whore. I'm not smart enough for that. Norm, um, sorry. <laughs> well, hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, Harry? Hi, Sarah. <laughs> um, I was wondering about the moth joke and the dolphin joke, the Alonzo and O'Brien show. Um, I watched like an embarrassing amount of time. So, <laughs> I was just wondering, like, going into those story jokes, you know, the Shaggy Dogs or whatever, um, was there a, like an agenda that you were steering away from? Like, what did Conan think you guys were going to talk about? And we'll just have you on the show just be like, calm and just tell jokes because you're not going to know anything. Well, when Conan started, no one would go on the show. You know, and I started Saturday Night Live at the same time that Conan started this talk show. And so he, he wasn't that successful, so he'd always phone me and go, the lady with the potato chips canceled. You know, and so a man only has so many stories. So I had my one. And I told that on the first show. But the way the, the like, for instance, like the moth joke, I was on Conan, you know, and he said, you know, you're going to be on one segment. So I did this segment. And then at the end of the segment, he goes, you got to do another segment. I'm like, but I got nothing to say. <laughs> and then I remember Colin Quinn told me this joke. Uh, that said, like, a moth presenter of podiatrist's office, and uh, he says, oh, I have all these problems, and the podiatrist goes, why did you come in here? And he goes, the light is on. <laughs> so I said, uh, maybe I'll do that joke, but that joke only takes eight seconds. <laughs> so I know a thing has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's what I've always heard. Even though I understand what that means. <laughs> That's why I put a big long middle. <laughs> but yeah, with Conan, you know, I, I just. What I do is, when you have to, in, in, uh, in these talk shows, they have these people called pre interviewers. And you tell them the story, and they go to the host, and they tell the host the story. And then you tell the host the story that he's already heard. <laughs> so you feel like you're a goddamn fool. <laughs> so instead, I would make up stories to <laughs> And then, so, you know, let him go, oh, I understand you got a haircut. And I go, no, I never got no haircut. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was amazing to hear you get 
Uh, I was just wondering, you know, you talked about how much respect you had for, for Howard, for David Letterman, for Chris Farley. Uh -huh. These were guys. I'm sorry, what's the third thing you said? Chris Farley? Yes. Yeah, and these were guys who, uh, or these are guys who are very insecure or very uh, focused on, on what they do and very passionate. Uh, and I was just wondering if, if you feel that way uh, sometimes about your own because you seem so effortless in your delivery and, and kind of just putting it out there. Uh, so I'm curious about that. Um, yeah, well, a lot of times people will, will say like I'm very calm and everything, but I'm not calm at all. <laughs> like I'm frightened all the time, and I think about dying all the time. <laughs> That's my little, little hobby. <laughs> so, uh, but ruminating on your own mortality can be exhausting. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, you know, you have to figure out, you have to figure out some way to not do that. Um, but I'm not insecure at all. You know what? I'm, I'm kind of, I know I suck as an actor and shit, but then, like, I have low self-esteem. But I have a, a low other people's esteem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that motherfucker can do it, I can do it. <laughs> 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 Are you gonna ask a question? Oh. Hey Norm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> story once I was always wondering if it's true the, the first job that Dennis Miller gave you it, is it true that you send in one joke yes it is true <laughs> that sir yeah yeah so uh, Dennis Miller had a talk show right after he left uh, it wasn't the HBO talk show it was this tribute talk show after he left Saturday Night and uh, he was trying to get writers <laughs> so he uh so I, my manager said, you know, right, once hundred jokes for the week. So I went to this uh, little, you know, restaurant and I'd read the newspaper and uh, I didn't read the newspaper. And uh, I got all sleepy and then uh, I don't know, this seems funny to me, you know. And uh, so I'd write like real bad, I had real bad jokes. So anyways, I wrote 50 horrible bad jokes. And then one joke that was okay. I'll just send him the one joke that's okay. Because I thought he won't be able to find it. Amongst all this direct. So uh, I sent him one joke. And then he thought I did it on purpose. You know? He's like, hey, you're like Andy Kaufman, babe. I was like, the really joke is it was. Uh, What's his name? They said Jeffrey Dahmer was on trial. And the joke was, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was on trial, and I feel his defense may be a little weak. They started it.
was wondering uh, who your favorite guest has been so far and who would be your dream guest. My dream guest is Robert Blake. <laughs> <laughs>
he said he wanted to, uh, <laughs> this is a story to him. He said, you know, he could all these girls when he was young, you know, he was so handsome. And he said one time he was in a hotel, <laughs> and there was this beautiful blonde, and she said, like, just come up to my room, you know, have a lot of sex. So he goes up to her room, and they're kissing on the bed and stuff. And then she, he said she whispered in his ear, and she said, I'll be right back. I have to take a dump. <laughs> Okay, we have time for two more questions before two we begin more. the signing, and we'll start right with this gentleman here. Hi, Norm. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I've read the first uh, 60, 70 pages, and this is genuinely one of the most interesting books I've read. It's really wonderful, like where you, you can, it's very hard to tell what's true and what's not at times, because I know that there are difficult times, and you don't want to laugh at something that's difficult, and yet it seems like it, there's a very, it's very intentional. Uh, to, uh, to to bend the truth, and I want to know how much of that came from difficult. Did you try to write a very straight memoir, and was that difficult, or did you initially come into it knowing that well, you wanted to have more creative? At approach? first, I tried to write a straight memoir. Like, but when when you look at your life, you know, you know, somebody once said, uh, when you look at, <laughs> I think I think Elvis said, somebody once said. Shakespeare. What was your question? Did you try to start out trying to write a straight memoir? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, and then um, I realized like uh, so little happens in life. First of all. Mostly, it's the finding and consumption of food. <laughs> and uh, so you wake up, you eat your frankenberries, <laughs> and then you buddy, hey, I wish you got a ham sandwich later. <laughs> and after the frankenberries digest, and then uh, you know, you know, I gotta go to the store, man, buy me some food. <laughs> so uh, your life, uh, your life is just a set of mundane. Things and so I read a whole bunch of biographies, and I really have contempt for celebrity biographies <laughs> because you know I feel there's real authors, you know, that work and are talented, and then they, you know, then they look at the best idols and Tim Allen. <laughs> so I always imagine them in their cold water flats. <laughs> Just like angry and you know, putting a noose up. So, so, anyways, I tried a whole bunch of ways of doing it, and then I thought, you know, I could. Uh, I didn't want to libel anybody, 
I didn't, well, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't care about a lot of them, but I didn't want to be sued for a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought if I, put, if I put actual true things in it, uh, but surrounded them by fanciful uh, falsehoods, then uh, they couldn't say, uh, you know, hey, you slandered me, because I don't want talk about the devils in the book, like the actual, <laughs> actual devil. The actual devil makes an appearance in my book. <laughs> So, uh, so that was my plan. That's my scheme. Schemes always trump plans. I always remember that. Is there one more? Hi, Norm. Hi, finally a yeah, woman. woman. It's about time, I say. I'm sorry. Uh, looking through the first few pages of your book, so far, so good. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, who is Marilyn Manson? Who's what? Marilyn Manson. Oh, oh. oh sorry. Charles Manson. Yeah, sorry. Oh, oh, oh. Well, you know, there's, there's different people named Charles Manson in the world. Just like there's different people named Jesus Christ. And yet, if you met a guy named Jesus Christ, not like you're going to follow him and become a goddamn Fisher of men. <laughs> but anyways, I, I, I assume that when you've gotten to the dedication. <laughs> yeah, it's dedicated to Charles Manson, not that one. Because <laughs> I knew a guy, his name wasn't Charles Manson, but I knew a guy. Uh, <laughs> I, knew, I knew a guy whose name was the same as a notorious uh, serial killer, and uh, uh, man, he got a lot of ribbon about that. <laughs> <laughs>
Ponch Stevenson. Ponch? Yeah, made it up. Like Ponch. Yeah. Ponch Stevenson. Oh, yeah. Note to self, I've got to listen to the Ponch Stevenson show. Wait a minute. Is it the show? Yeah, it's it. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, cool. She says perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. She's like, it's perfect. Come on. The Ponch Stevenson show. All right. Oh, 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 thanks. Nice, man. Here's nice. your other one. Right, juggling. <laughs>